Amen. All right, I'm going to share with you, uh, I'm told it's a story from a, uh, a letter from a, a Christian grandmother. You guys know Christian grandmothers around here? Or are you are one? Okay. And uh, I, I'm told that she's just sharing in this letter that she just, of this amazing day that she had. Okay? And this is what the contents are. We're going to see in a second. And all I got to say is, I hope she wasn't from here. Okay, <laughs> she goes, listen, she goes, the other day, she says, I went up to the local Christian bookstore, and I saw a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker. You've seen those, right? And she says, listen, well, I was feeling particularly sassy that day. That's a grandma word, isn't it? Sassy, right? I was feeling particularly sassy that day, and because I'd just come from a thrilling choir performance and followed by this thunderous prayer meeting, and, and so I bought that sticker, honk if you love Jesus, and, and I put it right on my bumper. And boy, I'm glad I did, she said. What an uplifting experience immediately followed. Uh, you see, I was stopped at a red light at a busy intersection, just lost in thought about the Lord and how good he is. And, and I didn't notice that the light had changed. And it, it, it's a good thing that somebody else loves Jesus because if they hadn't honked, I'd, I'd never noticed. And In fact, with that bumper sticker, I found out that lots of people all around me love Jesus. And <laughs> in fact, the guy behind me, he started honking like crazy, and then he leaned out of his window, and he screamed, for the love of God, go, Jesus, go. And I thought, what, what a cheerleader he was for Jesus. And, and then everybody started honking, and so I leaned out my window, and I, I started waving and smiling to all these loving people. I even honked my horn a few times to share in the love. And, and then I saw another man. He was waving in a funny way, uh, only with his middle finger stuck up in the air. And so I asked my teenage grandson in the back seat what he meant. And, and my grandson said, well, it's probably the Hawaiian good luck sign or something like that. Well, I never met anybody from Hawaii, so I leaned out the window and gave him the good luck sign back. Well, this apparently got a couple of people so caught up in the joy of the moment that they got out of their cars, and they started walking towards me. I, I bet they wanted to pray or ask what church I went to, and, 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 but this is when I noticed that the light had changed. So I grinned and waved to all my brothers and sisters and drove on through the intersection, but I noticed I was the only car that got through the intersection before the light changed again, and I, I felt kind of sad that I had to leave them behind after all the love that we shared, and so I, I slowed the car down, I leaned out the window one last time, and gave them all the Hawaiian good luck sign as I drove away. <laughs> Praise the Lord for such wonderful folks. Love, Grandma. <laughs> now, the funny thing about that is, how many of you guys know somebody that could probably do that, you know, and you, and you don't, I, I'll just keep looking ahead, but anyway... <laughs> But here's the point. How many guys would say that grandmother, man, she, she was lucky to escape with her life. You know, she had no clue, right? Okay, she thought she was doing a great job of sharing the love of Jesus, but in reality, what was going on? Man, unbeknownst to her, she was leaving behind a trail of destruction. And folks, again, with our theme, I can't think of a better way to put this. It's the same scenario with you and I as Christians today. And this happens when we act like practical atheists. Of course, we say we believe in God, right? You got to at least say that one, right? But half the time, with our lips and our lives, we're given a different impression. As we've been seeing, folks, this has been going on so long now that it's now producing a whole generation of churches full of these Christians acting like practical atheists. And it's not just detrimental in our walk with God. Just like that grandmother, boy, does it shove people away from God. In all due seriousness, okay? So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists but not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God. Now, we've already seen the first thing we need to know about God. Hello, he's what? He is real. We are here for a real reason. This is not make-believe, pie in the sky, or opiate for the masses, as Karl Marx would say. The second great news, we sing songs about it all the time, but do we really treat it that way? The great thing about God is he is personal or intimate. Jesus died on the cross. Why? For a man-made, boring, stale religion. 
No, for a beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with him, who God, the creator of the universe, okay? The third thing we saw is he's wise. Why would you go anywhere else? God never gets it wrong. He knows it all. He'll never steer you wrong. So why would you go anywhere else for wisdom, okay? What's the challenge there? The fourth thing we saw, he is sovereign. He is in control of all things, and the icing on the cake to me, he is in control of all things, and if you love him, he works all things together for good, even the hard times. Okay, we saw that very clearly. The fifth thing we saw that God is what? He is powerful. He can take care of any problem, any instant. He can save any soul. Anybody glad about that one? Yeah, okay. Right? He can do whatever he wants. He's got the power to do it all, right? And then last time we began the sixth one, and that is God is what? He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. It's the only attribute, character of God mentioned in the scripture repeatedly three times in a row. And that is for obvious uh, serious emphasis. Why? Because we saw that uh, if you want to know the holiness of God, one of the best ways is to do what we did last week. We took a look at the reaction of the people who encounter the actual holy presence of God. And boy, is that not a flippant term used today. I don't want to re-preach it uh, last week, but man, isn't that what people, oh, the presence of God is all goosebumps and awesome. It was so awesome. I cried. Yeah, you, you have any idea what you're talking about? When you look at the Bible, not your experience, when you look at the Bible, the reaction of people, the Israelites, Samson's parents, Job, Daniel, and Isaiah, it showed that, listen, according to the scripture, the holiness of God, if you were actually placed into the actual holiness of God, truly so. The scripture says, here's your example, it should fill you with fear, cause you to shut your mouth, suck the carpet, and shock you to the core. God is holy. He is holy. He is holy. That's what you see with the reaction of people, Okay. Okay, from the holiness of God, okay? But that's an all, so guess what? There's got to be more. That's right, Robert, there's, you, there is more. Thank you for that uh, fake voice. The second way you understand the holiness of God, not just the reaction of people, <clears throat> it's the removal of people. God has a zero tolerance for unholiness. You know what that word is in the scripture? Sin. It is the antithesis of everything that God is. And it is removed from his presence now i'm going to uh give you just one example open your bibles to exodus 32 we're going to take a look at that exodus 32 go ahead and turn there if you can and again i'll just as you turn there exodus 32 if you find genesis what do you do hang right it's the second book there uh exodus 32 and I'll just explain the context. Of course, this is the account of Moses. God calls him up there. The people have been led out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. Egypt typifies sin and slavery, just like Jesus led us out. Anybody glad about that? Out of sin and slavery, right? And so here comes God. He calls Moses up onto the holy mountain there. His holy presence descends. He's up there getting the holy Ten Commandments. It's all about the holiness of God. And then all of a sudden, Moses gets news from God. Hey, guess what the people are doing? They're down there committing unholy behavior. And then Moses comes down, and this is the context uh, that we're going to read there. Now, I'm going to institute this. I thought this was a pretty cool idea, not to get all legalistic or anything, but uh, sometimes I think it's good to uh, do things like this. But in response to uh, last week's study on God's holiness and God's holy word, somebody made a suggestion that, you know what, as a congregation, right, not to get legalistic or whatever, but maybe we need to show our reverence for the holiness of God that when we read the word of God in our opening text, let's stand and do that, shall we? Okay? And give God reverence and glory that he is due. So we're going to stand and read Exodus 32, 19 uh, through 28. Let's take a look. 
at what the scripture says. Now, what Moses, he approached the camp. Remember, he's coming down from the holy mountain with the holy presence of God, with the holy Ten Commandments, right? God, in his holiness, led them out of that unholy situation, right? And so here's the response. When Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, his anger, what? Burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and he burned it in fire. And then he ground it in a powder and he scattered it to the water and he made the Israelites drink it. How many guys would say he's a little upset? Yeah. And then he said to Aaron, the high priest, he was the guy in charge while he was gone, Moses was gone. He says, listen, what, what did these people do to you that you, Aaron, led them into such great sin? Now listen to his response. Listen, uh, uh, don't get angry, my Lord. Aaron answered, uh, you know how these people are prone to evil. Uh, they said to me, uh, make us gods who will go for us, uh, before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. So I told him, okay, uh, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And then uh, they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. You ever get responses like that from your kids? Yeah, Moses is like, are you serious? So Moses, he saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said this, listen to this, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. This is why the Levites got to be in the holy priesthood, serving in the holy temple, because of this response to God's holiness being offended. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each what? Killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. Listen, and on that day, about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses uh, said, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he blessed you this day. You may be seated. Wow. I mean, you guys, it's kind of an intense text there. Yeah, just a little bit, okay? Now, again, the context, what's going on? Moses, he goes up to the uh, holy mountain of God, Mount Sinai there. God's holy presence descends. Remember we saw last week, and, and the, it was quaking. They said, oh, Moses, don't let God speak to us. Oh, we're going to die. Oh, remember that, right? And so you would think after that response, they would say, okay, we better keep it in shape until Moses gets back. Apparently, they forgot all, ooh, they forgot all about the holiness of God real quick, didn't they? And they went, we don't do that, do we? And, and so what happened, he gets the ten holy commandments from God, but when he returns, he sees the people and their unholy behavior, and he's just, that's it, he throws, it, throws them down, and then instead of giving the Israelites a huge lecture, or that dreaded time out, oh, or don't make me get up, oh, this is going to be harsh, guys, don't make me count to ten. Instead of doing, what do you do, man? He gives orders for them to have, have them killed on the spot. Listen, they were, boom, permanently removed from the holy presence of God for their unholy behavior. And folks, here's the challenge. I mean, if we, most of us look at this passage, or if it comes up in a Sunday school class, it's just like, oh, what, okay, what's the next chapter? Oh, oh they had victory again, and you just kind of want to go through that one a little quick. I mean, honestly, what's our response? Typically, is it would come on, man? Don't you think this is a little bit extreme here? I mean, he, they killed him. Not three, not three, three thousand people killed for their unholy behavior. Okay, but listen, here's my premise: the only reason why we would dare question the holiness of God, we would dare question God's holy word, dealing with His holiness being impugned, is because we're looking at it from man's perspective, not God's. Now, let me give you an analogy to hopefully uh, help you understand that. One guy tells a story about a wise, mystical barnacle. 
How many of you guys realize that barnacles don't talk? How many of you guys don't even know what a barnacle is? Okay, it's a little thing that grows on the water, boat, and something like that, and a little crusty-looking thing. I digress, but it's a wise, mystical barnacle, whatever it is, right? And he says this, and, and it was at the bottom of the ocean. And one day, this barnacle gathered his disciples around him, and in a moment of religious vision, he, he got a glimpse of what he believed man was like. So he began to share his concept of man and what it was. And he said, first of all, that from his point of view, man doesn't have a shell and, and that man is not attached to a rock and, and that man is not surrounded uh, with water like the barnacles were. And, and so this led the barnacles to speculate on the nature of man. And soon they were teaching other barnacles that since man has no shell, he must obviously be a shapeless blob of jelly. And, and, and since he's not attached to a rock, he obviously has no location. And since there's no water surrounding him to float food to him, the man must not even be be able to eat. Thus, from their own environment and their own nature, the barnacles came up with an extremely limited and warped concept of man, right? Here's the parallel. It says this, if we too begin with ourselves in order to discover what God is like, including his holiness, we too will end up with an extremely limited and warped concept of God, one that will be far less than what he truly is. And this is what I think is going on today, folks. We are not getting back to the holy word of God and allowing him to define what is God's holiness like. That we would dare even question anything that God would do. Oh, by the way, do you realize, I've often thought about this, this is what me personally keeps my mouth shut. Anytime that we act like God doesn't know what he's doing, you know what you're doing? We're accusing him of doing something wrong. When you do something wrong, that's a sin. That's the antithesis of everything God is. He can't do anything wrong. And so he's, something's going on here we need to get back to. And it's the same thing. As long as we try to understand the holiness of God from our perspective, we're always going to end up with a warped view of God, period, let alone his holiness. God is not just holy. He is so holy the scripture is clear. Listen, he has a zero tolerance for sin. Somebody just mentioned this back there. They were listening to some program, and the guy says, hey, you know, uh, just you know, come to Jesus. Uh, God's grace, salvation, it's free. It doesn't cost nothing. Excuse me. It cost the life of his holy son everything. God has a zero tolerance for sin. Somebody has to pay for sin. The crime of sin, somebody's got to pay. As a New Testament Christian, it's either going to be Jesus Christ, or if you try to do it yourself, you will end up in hell. Because you can't do it. Because we've all blown it. And falling short of God's glory. But God is so holy, he is a zero tolerance for sin. And this is why the Israelites got killed on the spot. And this is our problem. Listen, we have a hard time, as we saw last week, that we have this need to revere God. We turn God into the cosmic buddy. He's our best friend. And that's true, but he's not a cosmic buddy. And he's not your butler to serve you. He is God. He is the one in control. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. And he needs to be revered as such. We not only have a problem to revere God, but listen, what makes it worse is we see no need to fear God. And so what happens, I've noticed, guys, is it, 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 it enables us to get even more lackadaisical when it comes to what God has a zero tolerance for. It's called sin. It's called sin. So if we're going to understand the holiness of God and his zero tolerance for sin, I think we better go back to the holy word of God and let him define for it. How about, what do you guys think? Yeah. Good answer, Bobby. We're going to do it anyway, but I appreciate your vote of confidence there. <laughs> the first way we, the Bible describes God's zero tolerance for sin. We just saw one 
in Exodus. But here's another one, man. This is, this is wild. And unless you understand the holiness of God, folks, sometimes you're like, what is going on here? No, it makes perfect sense in the holiness of God. But the first way is the removal of some other folks, Nadab and Abihu. Remember that passage? Let's take a look. This is Aaron's sons. Aaron's sons who got to serve with him in the priesthood. They decided to um, switch things up a little bit. And let's take a look at that response from God there. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. Oh. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Supposed to be to a specific recipe. God spelled it out perfectly, but uh, oh no, they, they decided to tweak it a little bit. Some translations say strange fire. Unauthorized fire, strange fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. Listen to this. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died right there on the spot. Before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, their dad, he says, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of the people. I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. Now that's a profound statement. Aaron, those are his sons. And God just took them out. Aaron kept his mouth shut this time. Earlier, he had all kinds of excuses, didn't he? I'm not saying a word. Whoa. So here we see the amazing account of the removal, literally, from the walks of life, Nadab and Abihu. And here they were, uh, not only the sons of the great man of God, the high priest Aaron, but they were priests of God himself, and they're getting to serve in the ministry, so to speak. And, and, but one day, they just, they just decided to try something new. Yeah, that's all. I mean, the orders from God were clear, really clear. They just wanted to spice things up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You know, try something new instead of the same old boring routine. Come on. Just shake it up a little, right? And so my question is, according to the holy word of God, what was God's holy response? How did he react to these unholy sinful behavior? Was it like the American church today? Hey, hey, come on, Pastor, right? What are you, what are you a legalist or something? You're not one of those fundamental crazy wackos. I mean, come on. There's nothing wrong with having a little fun once in a while. Come on, lighten up. Lighten up. Nobody can live a perfect life. But God knows I need to relieve some stress once in a while. Was that the response? Or did God immediately send forth fire and bang, crisp, burn? Right on the spot. And Aaron knew to keep his mouth shut. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I say according to the word of God, the holy word of God, that an absolute holy God will not tolerate not the slightest bit of sin, listen, not even a tiny adjustment from his clear, obvious command, his holy commands, right? In fact, I'd say again, I think the American church, we've lost sight of this. That's why we play so fast and loose with sin. The second way the Bible describes God's zero tolerance for sin and his holiness is now the removal of Achan. Achan, man. Other people paid a horrible price for his sin. Okay? See, sometimes that's the game we play, isn't it? Oh, no, it just affects me. Mm -mm. Watch this response. We see this now in the Joshua. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, 24, 25, and 26. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, he took some of them. So the Lord's anger, what? Burned against Israel. This, they had victory after victory after victory. They were doing what God said to do. He was giving them land. It was awesome. And all of a sudden, they didn't win. What's going on? Sin was in the camp. 
Achan is the context here. Listen to this. Then Joshua, together with all the people, they took Achan, son of Zero, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his son and daughters. God said, don't take that stuff. He did it anyway. Sons and daughters, his cattle and donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor, which I believe in the Hebrew means suffering. And boy, did he suffer. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, his family too, and they burned them. Okay, it says there, then the Lord then turned from his fierce anger. Whoa. Intense number two. This is what we see. Now you got the incredible account of the removal of Achan from the walks of life. And here he was. What's the context? He wasn't some pagan. He is a fellow Israelite, okay, one of the special people of God, fighting for the promised land, experiencing victory after victory. It was a great high time in their history. But here's the problem. One day he decides to, he decides to fudge a little. You know, just a little. I mean, the orders from God are very clear. He always makes them very clear. Don't take anything from these people. You get the land. I'll take care of you. Trust in my provision. But don't you touch their possessions. Leave them to me. It was clear. But Aiken thought that, you know, a little, little, little compromise. And, and he hid him in his tent. So it's kind of like he thought, you know, apparently God can't see through tents. Or... Roofs of a house or roofs of a car or wherever we go. But a little compromise here, and no big deal. So my question is, what was God's response? How did he react to Achan's sinful behavior? Was it like the church today? Hey, come on, Pastor Bill. I mean, what's the big deal? Okay, all right, so you got me. So I fudge a little here and there. Listen, everybody's entitled to a few mistakes now and then. Listen, how many times you heard this one? Hey, I'm only human. Is that how God responded? Is that how it went with Achan? Or listen, was not only Achan, but his whole family immediately stoned to death and then burned on top of that to quench the anger of God towards his holy, holy, holy command. Wow. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I say according to the holy word of God, I think the point's pretty clear. An absolute holy God in whom we serve will not tolerate the slightest bit of sin. Listen, not even one teensy weensy bit of compromise from his commands. And I'd say the American church, we've forgotten this, haven't we? Oh, it gets even more intense. The third one is the removal of this guy, Uzzah. Uzzah. Sometimes people seem to have a hard time. I'm telling you, if you don't understand the holiness of God, none of this makes sense. But when you do, Thank you, Jesus, for your holy sacrifice that forgives me and cleanses me of every sin, even the ones I don't even know about. Because you have a zero tolerance for sin. Thank you for your provision for me today. But Uzzah, let's take a look at what happened to him. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6-7. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God. Oh, come on now. The scripture's clear. You can't touch the ark of God. It has to be a priest. And they even had to use poles. Come on, man. Oh, but it was because the oxen had stumbled. Listen, so the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of this what? Irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died right there beside the ark of God. Whoa. 
So now we got the account of this guy named Uzzah. It's mind-boggling, and he gets removed from the walks of life. And, and again, what's the context? Here he was. He's privileged enough just getting to walk alongside the holy ark of God. Okay, now in the context, it was previously captured. It was now being returned to the city of David where it belonged. And it was, a, again, a great day, a great day of victory. Everything was going fine. It was a day of celebration. But, but this day, Uzzah, he, he decided apparently to, you know, to help God out. You know, as if God needs our help. I mean, the orders from God were very clear. If there's one thing you never did, don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever touch the holy ark of God. Because why? In the scripture, the ark of God between the cherubim represents the actual holy presence of God. Right there. Whoa, don't you dare touch that. And so the question is, what was God's response? How did God respond to Uzzah's sinful behavior? Was it again like the American church today? Come on, listen, 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 God. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I, I know you said I need to do this, right? I, I know that, okay? But really, come on, God, listen, I think I got a better way. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think I, I got a better way. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I, I, we're going to cut a deal here, God. How many guys realize God doesn't cut deals? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut a deal with you. I, I, I'm going to do my way for a little while, okay? And, and if it doesn't work, then later I'll admit, okay, I should have done it your way. You were right the first time, it was, was that the response? Or did God's anger strike him? Bang! Dead on the spot. He just went, boom, you're dead. He had the audacity to break God's command and touch his holy ark. He had no excuse. So, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'd say according to the holy word of God, an absolutely holy God will not tolerate even the slightest bit of sin. Listen, not even a small, what we would consider tiny deviation from his will. And I'd say the American church, we've forgotten that too. Let's deal with one more. I think that's about all we can handle, right? And I love bringing this one up per se because oftentimes we'll say, well, that was the Old Testament God, right? And the Old Testament God, he was a big meanie, right? But the New Testament, it's, he's the fluffy guy in the cloud, the great grandfather who never, he always does nice stuff Excuse me, what's the scripture say? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, there's an old covenant. Praise God for the new covenant. But guess who's the same through and through? That's why in the Old Testament, he says, be ye holy as I am holy. And in the New Testament, he says the same thing, be ye holy because I am holy. He's the same. But let's take a look at this response. Now, this makes sense. Even the New Testament, okay, when you understand the holiness of God. And of course, I'm talking about Ananias and Sapphira. In the church now, not Israel, the church, the early church, right after the church was born, right? But let's take a look at that passage. Church was born, Acts chapter 2, now you're only a couple chapters over, Acts chapter 5, still young, still new, and God was setting the pace, sending, I think, a clear message even to the church. Listen to this, now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property, well, that's fine, and with his wife's full knowledge, though, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. What are you doing, dude? Right? And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to not just God, not just the Spirit of God? What's the word there? Holy. Did you realize? I think sometimes we play flippant with that term too. Holy Spirit. Did you realize what just came out of your mouth? We sing songs of Holy Spirit. You're holy. What? You understand? He's not the happy spirit, he's not the giggly spirit. 
He's not the experiential spirit. He's not the, woohoo, look at that guy rolling on the floor, on the ground spirit. Holy. You have lied to the Holy Spirit of God. And you've kept some of that money uh, yourself, for some of the money that you received from that. How could you do that? What, 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 didn't it belong to you before it was sold? What are you doing? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to who? God. And when Ananias heard this, what happened? He fell down and he died right there on the spot. And what happened? What was the response of the church? Great fear, not just fear. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then, of course, you know the account. His wife came in. She lied too. What happened to her? Bang! She dropped on the floor. She died too. Man, if that happened today... Let's see, attendance would go up, uh, offerings would go up. We wouldn't have the need to make any more video announcements from Sunrise Video Announcements. What? Whoa. But here we are. I mean, what's going on? This is the awesome account. The removal of Ananias and Sapphira from the walks of life. And, and what's the context? They're, they were not only Christian, they're obedient Christians. They're supporting the work of the Lord. That's a great thing. But one day, mm, I, I'm just going to stretch things a little. <laughs> just a little. Just a little, just a little stretch. I mean, the orders from God are, are very clear. Everybody knows this one. Even the early church before the New Testament Bible uh, was uh, uh, solid in place. It's called the ninth commandment, right? You shall not bear false witness. In other words, you shall not lie, let alone in the holy presence of God. Who, by the way, is omnipresent. And so my question is, what was God's response? How did he react to these Christians' sinful behavior? Was it like the American church Christians you hear today? Okay, listen, listen, all right, you got me. So, okay, I stretch, I stretch, I stretch the tooth a little bit, right? I mean, I mean, come on, everybody does. I mean, besides, listen, it was, it was only, it was only a, a little lie. No, no, it was, it was a, a white lie. Do you realize that God doesn't size up lies, let alone sin, and he doesn't color them? A lie is a lie, a sin is a sin. Oh, you can try to categorize it all you want, big, small. Mm-mm. All sin is sin. Now, I mean, surely you don't expect me to be totally honest. I mean, not in this day of age. Come on, nobody's totally honest. Was, it, was that the response? Or did they immediately, in the presence of the church, bang, drop dead on the floor, everybody else, was filled with the holy, reverential, Fear of God. So again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I said according to the holy word of God, an absolute holy God, he will not tolerate, not even the slightest bit of sin, not even a teeny, weeny, whatever you want to call it, bitty lie. That's how holy he is. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. That word means no sin. It's impossible for him to sin. And in heaven, it's a holy place filled with his holy angels. His holy presence, the actual holy presence, there cannot be sin in his presence in heaven. Only Jesus makes it possible through his perfect holy behavior and his perfect holy sacrifice. That's the only way we're getting there. When you look at the holiness of God and now his removal of people, Man, does that not make you appreciate his love 
and mercy than what Christ has done? No kidding, okay? But you might think, Pastor Billy, listen, here you go again. I don't know what you got for Christmas, but apparently somebody got you a month free supply of bacon or something, and you ate it all in two weeks. You know, I, mean, yeah, I know that's what the texts say. I mean, we're just reading straight out of the Bible, but there's got to be another way to look at this. I mean, come on. I mean, you never hear stuff like this in the church. I mean, it's just too harsh, but think about it. It only seems harsh if what? We are guilty, just like the barnacles. We are guilty of not understanding, let alone appreciating, the holiness of God. We're trying to understand God from our perspective instead of his holy word. Which, when you do, keeps our behavior and witness in line, doesn't it? It's time we get back there. But come on, it's just a too extreme. I mean, but who are we to question the holiness of God? Again, what did Paul say in Romans? Who are you, oh man, to talk back to God? What are you trying to do? Fashion an idol? Fashion your own calf, if you will? Making God into something he's not just to make you comfortable? And do you think he doesn't see that? And do you think payday's not coming on that? Yeah, but it's, just, it's just not fair. Who are we to question the holiness of God? And a zero tolerance for sin. You see, I think the second greatest crime of the American church is this. We lost our reverence for God because we don't believe in the holiness of God. But I think now, number two, we've lost our fear of God because we don't believe in the absolute holiness of God. And when that happens, that's when the terms cheap grace, easy believism, begun to gun rampant, which is what we're seeing in the church today, isn't it? It's not a judgmental, judicial fear. That's been taken, praise God, care of in Jesus on the cross. But it's the understanding that when you get out of line, Hebrews 12, God disciplines those whom he loves. When you sin, when I sin, what's he do? Here comes spankings. Have we forgotten that? And he's not doing it because he's mean. Because sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. And because he loves us, and when he sees us going down those unholy roads, he has to intervene, not only because of his holiness, but because of his love. He wants us to be steered away from that danger. But man, we run so back. What's the, what, ooh, these are strong words, like a dog to its vomit. We run back. Have you already forgotten the holiness of God? The holiness of God, it brings you back. Not so quick to run back to it. It keeps you in line. We've now refashioned God into the image of our unholy desires. He's no longer God. He's the cosmic buddy in the sky who winks at our sin and lets us do whatever we want. Now, if you don't think that that attitude is rampant in the church today, let me just give you some sampling. Young Christians and adults. And here is what is going on. Just a sampling in the church today. Now, in light of our study, God's zero tolerance for sin. Old Testament, New Testament. Now, Listen to these statements. It's mind-blowing. Listen to this. Uh, first of all, a Christian teenager, professed Christian teenager, Daryl, 17, he says, hey, kids at school are pressuring me and my girlfriend to have sex. I, I want to wait until marriage, you know, like God says, but I wonder how this will make me look. Dude, you better get some fear of God back. Who cares what it makes you look in other people? You need to be concerned about the eyes of God. 
looking down upon you at all times. Kendra, 14, not just guys. She said, I know the Bible says you can't have sex before marriage, but hey, why can't you? I mean, if you're in love with the person, it doesn't feel wrong. Did it feel wrong for Nadab and Abihu? Or Achan? Don't go by your feelings. That, isn't, that leads to pain. Of those polled on the Christian Internet Forum, 63.79% thought that it was perfectly fine to be a Wiccan. That was a teenage website, I believe. And another teenage website said this, 4% of Christians, 3% of non-Christians said they consulted a medium or spiritual advisor within the past month. 1% more Christians were doing it than non-Christians seeking the occult for advice. You don't think God's watching this? Oh, it gets even worse. Uh, Monday night, uh, ABC special uh, reported that Mary Magdalene was actually Jesus' wife. And showed that it was based on uh, this book, supposedly, that also asserts that Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, fled Jerusalem with Jesus' child after his crucifixion. ABC's Elizabeth Vargas said, quote, For me, it's made religion more real and, ironically, much more interesting, which is what we're hoping to do for our viewers. Excuse me? You're, refash- you're making a golden calf, aren't you, lady? How did God respond to it the first time? Are you kidding me? Whoa. Listen to this. A so-called United Methodist minister has written a book on Jesus that claims Jesus not only condoned homosexual relationships, but that Jesus himself was involved in one. Listen, the minister has not been reprimanded by his denomination. Should have kicked him out. What? what? You have got to be kidding me. Roughly 4,000 Americans were killed in 9-11 in one day. This brought America to her knees, at least for a week. Yet nearly 3,000 Americans are killed every single day by murdering of children in the womb, i.e. abortion. Almost 59 million Americans have now been killed by abortion since 1973. And 1.4 billion children have been murdered in the world. Not million, billion. It makes me sick every time I have to go. I always have to keep renewing these statistics. And every time I go up there, there's a site, and it's got a, a live clock counter thing. I can't look at it that long. And maybe that's to my shame. But that number just keeps going up and up and up. And as I'm watching, they even have this one thing that says, and as you've been on this page, here's how many more children have been murdered. And it keeps going and going and going. You wonder why God's holy wrath is going to be poured out on our planet, not for one, not for two, not for three, not for four, not for five, not for six, but for seven years nonstop. How dare you? Even when children are alive, what's Jesus say? If you lead one of these little ones astray, man, it'll be better for you if a millstone was tied in your neck and be chucked in the sea. That's when they're alive outside the womb. 1.4 billion and counting murdered. His wrath is completely justified. In light of our study that God has a zero tolerance for sin, I'd say some folks are in a rude awakening when they get to the other side. Okay? I don't know if you learned this or not, folks. Judgment of God is coming. And if we truly have been given a short reprieve, even in our own country, we better be wise with it. And we better get responsible and get busy reflecting our holy God, letting people know about his holiness and his zero tolerance for sin and lead them to Christ. Because we know the hammer's going to come down eventually. Because that will be judged. 
And we need to get that boldness back. I don't care who we're talking to, even our own government. Like this pastor did. This pastor, pastor in Kansas, my home state, Bible Belt, right? And listen to what he said. He said this. This is his prayer. They got to they let him pray. And this was in the uh, chamber of the Kansas General Assembly. And listen to what he said. He said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we ask what? For your forgiveness. And to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word, it says, woe to those who call evil good. But that's exactly what we've done as a nation. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium. We've reversed our values. We confess that. We have ridiculed your absolute truth of your holy word, and we call it pluralism. We've worshipped other gods and call it multiculturalism. We've endorsed perversion. We call it an alternative lifestyle. We've exploited the poor and we call it lottery. We've neglected the needy. We call it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and we call it welfare. We have killed our unborn children and we call it a choice. We have neglected to discipline our children and we call it building self-esteem. We've abused power and we call it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possession and we call it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography. We call it freedom of expression. We've ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and we call it enlightenment. Search us, O God, today. Know our hearts today and cleanse us now from every sin and set us free. In Jesus' name. I thought, man, that's a good prayer for our country, isn't it? But then the second thought dropped in my head. You know what? That's a good prayer for the church right now. We need it too, based on the behavior. But listen, what was wild is he needs to know when he prayed that prayer, let me tell you, the, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Some of the legislators in the Bible belt who could not stand the truth of what he was praying actually demonstrated their defiance by walking out. In the Bible Belt. Folks, we not only need revival in America, we need revival in the American church. We got the cart before the horse. Oh God, fix their unholy behavior. Oh, fix that unholy government. Oh God, fix them. Oh, fix those unholy laws. Oh God. No, no. Fix our unholy hearts, God. And use us and have that same boldness and preach your holy word. And repent. And use us to lead the nation back to Jesus. That's how revival happens. Revival is not meant for the lost. It's always for God's people. We get it backwards. And so I make this challenge. I say it's the time we get back to real Christianity, amen? Holy Christianity. Who every week is studying his holy word. Memorizing his holy commandments because they're all for our good. And get back to being those holy witnesses with the holy reverence for him. Amen? But, whether you're visiting today or you're watching online, I'll say this. If you're a part of one of these apostate, unholy churches, it's all about self-esteem. It's all about you. How to be a better you. How to be more you and you and you with you sprinkled on top with more of you. With you, serp, all over you, you, you. And they never talk about sin. They never talk about God's wrath towards sins. They never talk about his holiness. They never talk about his judgment on sin. They never talk about he's coming back again. Then I encourage you, you better run. And you better run for your life. Because God will judge that apostate church. And you need to come out 
and be ye separate. Like this guy says. We'll close in prayer after this. Listen to me like you've never listened to me ever in your life. We have got to lay our lives down for the purposes of God. This is not a Sunday school picnic, the Church of Jesus Christ. This is not an invitation to have continuous good times. This is a war for the souls of men. Come out from among them. Run for your life. Because this is about your life. It's not just about an opposing theology or conflicting viewpoint on Jesus. This is about your life. My mind is forever branded with the story that I heard of police officers from the city of New York as, as people were fleeing from a crumbling building. There were police officers and firemen and others that were running towards the building saying, run for your life at their own peril. And in some cases, I believe they knew they were going to die, but there was a sense of duty. I was crying out to God. I said, God, oh, Jesus, don't let my sense of duty be less for your kingdom than these beloved firemen and policemen were for those that are perishing in a falling tower. We're living in a generation when truth is falling into the streets. I want to be among those that are not running away from the conflict, but running into the conflict and say, run for your life. Run from Gospels that focus only on success and prosperity. Run! Run from those who use the name of Christ only for his personal gain. Run from those that are picking your pocket in the name of Jesus. Run! Run from Gospels that only focus on self-improvement. Run! Run from churches where men and not Christ are glorified. Run! Run! Body of Christ, run! Get out! Don't touch the unclean thing. Run from churches in America and Canada where there is no Bible. There's no cross in the theology. There's no soul-searching word. There's no repentance from sin. There's no mention of the blood of Jesus. Run! It's unclean! Run! Run from churches where you're comfortable in your sins. If you come into the house of God and you've got sin in your life and you're not convicted of it, you're at a table of devils. Run from pulpits that are filled with political men who are using the pulpit of God for a personal political agenda. Run! Run from those who preach division between races and cultures. Run! Run! Get out! Turn it off! Get away from it! They know nothing of God! Run! from ungodly, spasmodic movements and endless, empty prophesying. Beloved church, run for your life.
Run from preachers that stand and tell stories and jokes. Run like you've never run before. Run! 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 Wednesday night, if you were there, what did we talk about? What was our scripture? Come out from among them and be ye separate. Church, we need to run. We need to run away from this unholy world. And the unholiness that has crept into even the church. And we need to run back to Jesus. Holy Jesus. A holy God. With his holy word. And then don't hide from the conflict. Get out there. And run. And tell people about the one and only real God. Who's not just real. And intimate. And personal. And powerful. And sovereign. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. And he's coming back again. And his holy wrath will be poured out on this planet against all unholiness. He sees it all. And there's one way to escape it. Jesus. That's the holy word our world needs to hear now. Amen? Let's be that church. Let's be those people. Listen, we get the privilege of doing it where? Sin City. You get it? You get God's irony? What a privilege for us. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? 
Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how... Uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, 
if he would grant them what's called a pardon. Out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.